Welcome to 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I open the Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, I'm also going to put 20 minutes on the timer. So if you have your Bibles, open to the book of 1 Samuel. We are starting a new book of the Bible today. In fact, I counted recently, and it is the 20th book that we have studied together as a church since I've been here uh, almost a full five years ago. And the book of 1 Samuel tells the story of really the second age of the nation of Israel. God brought his people out of their slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness, leading them towards the promised land. And that's what we studied when we started this podcast. Uh, We studied the book of the Exodus. But what happened in between was that when the people got to the promised land, Moses, who was leading the people out of their slavery, Moses sinned. And the consequence of Moses' sin was that he was not able to enter the promised land. So Joshua took the leadership of the people of Israel and brought them into the promised land, began the conquest of of, uh, Israel. And you can read about that in the book of Joshua. And then after Joshua died, Israel had no king. The idea was that God would be their king, but... The people were human and sinful and rebellious, and so they did their own thing. And so every so often it would get so bad that God would have to raise up these judges, and these judges would, uh, sometimes they would literally just judge. They would settle disputes, but often they would um, raise up the defense. They would lead an army. They would um, liberate a part of Israel that had been taken over. They would bring the people back to faithfulness to God, and for a time they would, and then every generation has to make its own choice for God. And so that next generation would just fall back into the same patterns and another judge would have to be raised up. And the book of 1 Samuel starts at the end of the period of the judges where the theme of the book of Judges is everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So this is the time frame that Samuel is born into Uh, Several hundred years after the exodus and after the people enter the promised land, but hundreds of years where the people have been in these cycles of sin and rebellion and being conquered and then being delivered and returning to God and then going back into it. And that's where we're at. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, there was a certain man from Ramathiah, or sorry, I said that wrong, Ramatham. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elhud, the son of Toa, the son of Zuf, the son an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had none. <coughs> so this is not how it was supposed to be. You were only supposed to have one wife. Jesus said from the very beginning, God made the male and female and the man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh and what God has brought together, let no one separate. 
we we think that we're somehow living. Uh, I, I'm not saying you per se, but like I'll talk to people who feel like we're somehow living in like the most evil time ever. But the truth is that humanity has always been evil, and there have been times where things have been better and things have been worse. And there have been times where God's people have been more in line with his commands and his statutes and his ways and times where they have been less so. And this is one of those less so times. They were not supposed to have two wives. Polygamy was practiced, but it was not permitted. It wasn't supposed to be how it was. But remember, this is coming out of the time of the book of Judges and the big theme of the book of Judges is everyone does what is right in their own eyes. If you want to do something, you can find somebody to tell you it's okay. I guarantee. If you want, I, I, one, of my, one of my big passions, a heart of mine, is people who grew up in the church, but they themselves were not Christians. Or they themselves were dealing with some, um, all sin is equal before God, it's all bad, but there are sins that have more dominance in our lives than others. So either they weren't Christians or they were Christians, but they were dealing with a life-dominating sin that they didn't know how to process through. And you will find somebody to tell you that it's okay. You will find somebody to tell you that the Bible doesn't care, that God doesn't care about what you do. I guarantee there was somebody in in their day that said, it's okay, it's okay, Elkna, for you to take two wives. I guarantee, I mean, you, you want to know how I know this? Because they went to the temple and the, the priests, those who were to keep the law of God, acted as if it was no big deal for a man to show up with two wives. Now we, by and large in America, we don't have polygamy. But let's not kid ourselves that that this isn't an issue all over the place. In fact, uh, it's interesting, uh, on, on my last or second to last trip in Mexico, uh, I spent time with uh, some pastors down there, and they were saying that there's, there's actually a name for it, your, your family on the side, and it's been a while, so I don't remember the Spanish word, but there's a name for it, your, your, your family that you have on the side. And you have your wife and your kids, and you have your family on the side. And um, it was so prevalent and so common that the pastors actually had to like sit like all the guys in the church down and say, no, this is not okay. This is not how God wants it. This is not what's best for you. It's not what's best for your family. It's not what's best for your side family. That, that this is wrong. But that's how it was. And it says, year after year, verse 3, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to Yahweh Almighty at Shiloh, where Hopni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord. Whenever the day came, for Eknah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, uh, Penia, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. But because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's the other wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and could not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? One of the reasons, I think we think that God just has these rules and they're kind of arbitrary and they're kind of to kill our fun. 
And that's why God has these rules. And then there's these really stuffy people uh, that are like, you better keep those rules. And half of them are hypocrites anyway, so why should we listen to them? But more and more I have found, more and more I have found that God has rules for a reason. We went through this in the book of Exodus, right? That there'd be these dietary laws and, the, and there would be these laws about hand washing and what to do if somebody had um, like a rash or a skin thing. And you go, why is that there? And then you realize, oh, these are public health laws. These are public safety. This, this keeps disease and plague from spreading. I've, I've been deep diving the pandemic just to keep track of what's going on and, and how the church is dealing with it and everything. And, and if you don't know, we, we just decided we're consistent. Uh, the public health authorities have, have issued a mask, indoor mask mandate, so we wear masks. Um, you know, we have differing opinions about it, uh, but we've just said, hey, we're going to be consistent. That's what we do. But I was deep diving, and I was looking into previous plagues and pandemics, and one of the things I found interesting was the, I was, I was doing reading yesterday on the spread of syphilis. My, I was telling my wife about this and she says, why, you know? And uh, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm deep diving kind of the history of how pandemics and plagues are dealt with. And um, it was interesting though, that they realized pretty quick that syphilis was being spread through brothels and bathhouses and legalized prostitution. So they went through and, and started to shut those down because that was the major point of, of the spread of syphilis. And they shut down the point of the spread, but they didn't shut down the heart. They didn't do anything for the dudes who were going to those places, that nothing got done to them. Um, and even the way that they shut them down was often just if, if, uh, if a prostitute looks sick, then she gets fired and put out on the streets. But my, my point is, there's a reason that God sets these things up. I had a friend who came to me a while ago, and I remember I said I, I have a heart for people who grew up in the church and now are kind of walking on a different path. It's, some, it's something that I, I just I care about a lot. And, and we're talking, and he said, why is it always about the genitals for you? That's, and the reason I'm saying that is that's the words he used. And, it, and it's memorable because I don't think I've ever had somebody say that to me. He says, why is it always about the genitals with you people? It's like, well, what do you mean you people? He means Christians. But part of the reason is that so many things to do with human sexuality are good. Human sexuality is a gift from God. When, when a husband and a wife are intimate, that is how God has designed it. It's, it's intended that way. But we're so broken, and then the consequences of our brokenness is a spread of, of consequence disease in this case, uh, you know, with, with syphilis, it was, it was the, you know, Hey, you go, you go and seek other women outside of your marriage. There's a consequence for that kind of immorality. In this case, the consequence wasn't uh, disease because they were still a closed circle, but instead of being one man and one woman, it was one man and two women. So it was a closed circle, but it was a larger closed circle than it was supposed to be. The consequences weren't physical, the consequences were emotional and relational. My guess, this is implication and guesswork, but it's my guess that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife and that he legitimately loved her. He legitimately 
cared about her. That was, that was who he wanted to be with. But having children wasn't just a pride thing in their culture. It was an economic necessity because who worked your fields with you? Who took over after you're gone? And so it's not unreasonable to think that what happened was somebody said, hey, Elkna, you can afford it. Get a second wife. She'll have your kids. You love Hannah. You can still, you know, be in love with her, but get a second wife. She'll have your kids. And that's how God will take care of you. Which is funny considering that, you know, we all know the story of, of Abraham and, and how Abraham and his wife Sarah were, were well advanced in years and yet God provided a child for them. Who would have known that better than the descendants of Abraham? But these, this relationship that was not in God's design between one man and two women, which is not in God's design, had consequences. There were consequences. There was suffering on, on the part of Hannah and on the part of Peniah. This is written, you have to remember who this is written by. Spoiler alert, Hannah is Samuel's mom. He's going to write favorably of his mother, and that's understandable. But don't you think that Penai suffered? You just have to go back to the book of Genesis and the story of Rachel and Leah to know that Penai had to have suffered knowing that Elkanah didn't love her. He might have enjoyed her body. He might have enjoyed her children, but he loved Hannah. And no matter how much Penai gave herself to her husband, and no matter how many children she produced, and no matter what she did, it wasn't enough because Elkna loved another woman. So no wonder she provoked, and she was cruel, and she acted badly because she is suffering. She's a victim too. If we live in God's ways, we eliminate these kind of things. If if if. Elkna had just stayed faithful to his wife Hannah, then this suffering on his second wife's part, on his first wife's part, and probably on his part, would not have happened. When we live in God's ways, we live in his blessing. So verse 9 says, Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the house of the Lord. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord and Eli observed her and Hannah praying in her heart and her lips were not moving and her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. So he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. So remember the tabernacle. If you don't, you can Google it. Just Google tabernacle and Google image searches. You'll find it. That's the tent of meeting. And Eli is older. He's elderly and he's sitting by the doorpost. His sons, uh, Hopni and Phineas, are doing the work of the priests and they're doing the sacrifices and they're doing the butchering and all of the physical labor. Eli is at this point kind of priest emeritus. But he sees her and she comes to the tent of meeting and she gets on her knees and she prays, but she's not speaking. She's just praying in her heart, but she's sobbing and he assumes that she's drunk. Why does he assume that? 
again, remember, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So they would show up and they would camp out. They would have a big camp out around the tent of meeting and they, you know, a tailgate kind of thing. Why does he think she's drunk? Because people are getting drunk. Because people are, are having a big party, a big kegger when they've come to worship God. That's the spiritual situation that we find the people of God in at the beginning of this book. And he says to her, put away your wine. And I don't think he's being mean to her. I, I mean, if he wanted to, he could have made a big scene. He let her be for quite a while. I don't think he's being mean. I think he just finally has in his heart. He just says, you're suffering. You're here, you're here suffering because of your drinking. It's time to stop. I think he's trying to be nice, quite honestly. And she makes this vow while she's praying. If you give me a son, then I will give him to you, Lord. And no razor will ever be used on his head. That's the Nazarite vow. Uh, that she is making for her son, that he will be set apart for God's use. And she responds to the priest, verse 15, No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered her, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Now, did Eli the priest have some kind of magic powers? No. Was he a particularly holy or godly person? We're going to find out that he's not. Take the man aside, and there was the office of the priest, the high priest. And he is blessing her. And in her distress, she takes that as an answer from God. She gets up, and her misery is lifted. And she goes and she eats something. You know, sometimes, I mean, if you're dealing with clinical depression, you should go see a professional. You should get professional help. If I, if I sprain my wrist, I go to the, uh, the doctor and the doctor looks at my wrist. If, if I'm dealing with stress, anguish, clinical depression, I, I need to go see that kind of doctor. But clinical stuff aside, there's times where we're just troubled and it's, I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm not talking about a, a clinical uh, condition. I'm just saying there are times where we go through distress, trial, turmoil. Have you ever been so stressed out that your stomach cramped? Have you ever been so concerned that, that, that you just, you're tense up? Have you ever been so grieved that you can't help but weep? That's where she's at. And then the Lord ministers to her. And it says she ate something. I think there's something we think it's all spiritual. No, she went and ate something. She got some sleep. She, she, she took some rest. That physical component is there. I think we, you know, we say we have our physical bodies and our emotional and our spiritual and we separate them. And I think there, there is a holistic way of looking at it to say I'm going to take care of my physical body, I'm going to take care of my emotional and mental health, and I'm going to take care of my spiritual health. Early the next day they arose and worshipped before the Lord, then went back home to Ramah. Elknah made 
loved to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And the name Samuel means heard by God. So she's just acknowledging God's work. Now, what's going to happen with Samuel? What's, why did we start here? It seems an odd way to start a book of the Bible. Well, we'll find out next week as we continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel. This has been the 20-Minute Bible Study. My name's Adam. We release new episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. We have video versions available on our Facebook page. You just have to search Faith on Hill on Facebook. You don't have to have a Facebook account to watch the videos. Also, we have video and audio versions of our Sunday services that are available on the same streams. And we meet together throughout the week in small groups. You just have to email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Well, we'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.